Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's day 320 of our journey through the Bible as we walk with Jesus through the Word, one chapter per day. My name is Michael Telercio. I'm the intern here at Forest Hill, and I'm really excited to be able to share with you from 1 Corinthians 16 this morning. Let's ask for the Lord's help. As we open up His Word, let's ask that He would open it up to our hearts. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this privilege that we have to know you through the Bible. Thank you that you are a kind God to give us insight into what it is like to live in this world with Jesus as our head. And we pray that we would be the kind of body who wants to give him glory and wants to interact with the other members of his church in loving ways, ways that please him. We pray that you would edify us through this time in in 1 Corinthians this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, we've reached the final chapter in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and it is glorious. I love this chapter. It is is just so full of truths and practical applications for not only the Corinthians, but for us as well. But I do promise to be brief this morning. Uh, I'd like to begin just by mentioning the context into which Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 16. He has just given us that awesome chapter on the resurrection. 
57 verses all about the resurrection and about the certainty that we can have that because Jesus died and rose again bodily from the dead, all of those of his body, all of those of us who belong to him can and will be raised as well from the dead. Uh, the resurrection is a certainty. And so Paul is really bringing his argument to a peak at the end of that chapter. And that's why after 57 verses all about the certainty of resurrection that we have in Christ, he writes the 58th verse in this way. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul knows that because believers are connected to Jesus who died and rose again, there is no service that we could render to the Lord that will not, because it is God's desire for it to, bear fruit. There is no service that will not bear fruit as we serve the Lord. That's why he would write in chapter 15 that just like a grain of seed goes into the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. He writes something along those lines in 15. It's also found in John 12. A grain of seed, even if it dies, it bears much fruit. So even if we serve the Lord to the point of death, it will bear fruit. There's, no, there's nothing that can threaten or hinder our work for the Lord. So Paul is urging and encouraging and exhorting God's people here in 1558 to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. And then he begins chapter 16 with just one example of how we might abound in the work of the Lord. He writes about the collection, and he encourages the believers in Corinth to set aside something on the first day of every week, as they have opportunity, as they may prosper, verse 2, so that there will be no collecting when he comes, so that there is uh, something set aside for the ministers of God's word, as well as for those to whom they are ministering. And Paul is himself excited to do the work of the Lord. He's not only excited to do it himself, he's excited that there are others who are wanting to do that work. He's excited that Timothy, verse 10, is doing the work of the Lord as he is. And he wants to bring others, like the Corinthians and us, as we follow their example, his example, Paul's, Timothy's, the Corinthians' example. He wants us to do the work of the Lord as well. And so he gives us instructions in verses 1 to 4 that are for us as well, that we can set aside um, tithes and offerings for the Lord's work. But what I really love about this passage is what happens in the next couple of verses, uh, what, what is written about there. Paul writes in verses 5 and 6, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Now we have to remember that Paul is writing these words to the Corinthians. That's a messy group of people. He's written some pretty harsh things to them throughout this letter. Things that they need to hear because they're tolerating stuff that's not good for them as a community and because they're living in ways that are unpleasing to the Lord. But he wants to be with them. In fact, verse 7 makes that clear. We might read verses 5 and 6 and think that Paul is just saying, hey, I want you to help me on my way, so I'm going to come pass through 
Like I'm passing through Macedonia, I'm going to come pass through Corinth and you're going to help me on my way. But he makes it very clear in verse 7 that he doesn't want to only pass through. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. He wants to snuggle up right there with the Corinthians for the winter, right? As he said in verse 6. He wants to spend time with them. He wants to be with these messy people. He's not content to simply write them a letter and to say, you know, good luck. He wants to be with them. He wants to help them to know why he has written what he's written to them. He wants them to sense that he's not written it to them in unjustified anger or in just a on just a whim or because he's annoyed about something or he's not writing to them to simply benefit himself. He he has no interest in benefiting himself. He wants them to be benefited and blessed themselves. And so he wants to come be with them and to help them know his love for them. We need to understand that. It's true for us too as we follow his example that it's not enough for us to recognize how others in our community might need to change what they're thinking or doing and to simply tell them by way of a text message or an email. Um, Certainly there might be occasions in which that's appropriate, but the heart of loving correction is one in which we want to be with the people that need it. We want to be with God's people. We ought to. That's what that's the example Paul's giving us. And really, he's just following Jesus' example. Jesus is the incarnation of God's love, among other things. He's the incarnation of God's love. He is the embodiment of God's desire to be with his people. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And so Paul's just following in that same vein and wanting us, wanting us to be part of that same community that same kind of community where Jesus is our head and we are his body, right? As he said earlier in the letter. Uh, there's so much in this text. I, I, wanna, I wanna love you guys by keeping it brief here. So I will run with this theme of love and just make one or two more points uh, that Paul, Paul is really, you know, verses 13 and 14, he's making it clear that all that we do should be done in love. And what I really like about verses 13 and 14 and how they're joined together there is that they're not contrasting ideas as much as they're complementary ideas. He writes in verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Just just a brief word here. Paul does have a conception of what gender roles should be like. We, we don't only have two sexes. We have two genders as well. And this is just one example in scripture that makes that clear. Paul says, act like men. Be strong, he's writing to the Corinthian believers. That's not to say that these words don't apply to women, but it is to say he has a conception of what man ought to be, what men ought to be like. They ought to be watchful. They ought to stand firm. They ought to be strong. But what does that look like practically? What's the flip side to that, what is the other side of that coin? Let all that you do be done in love, verse 14. Love, as Pastor Jason pointed out a couple of days ago when he went through 1 Corinthians 13, love isn't what the culture defines as love. Love isn't love. Love is love. You've probably heard that phrase. 
sure, that's true in the sense that it's just a tautological truth. Love is love. But love is based on truth. Love involves strength. Love involves standing firm in the faith. Love involves Love involves watchfulness. Love involves a standard of right and wrong, truth, God's truth. And that's why John would write in 1 John that if we love the Lord, we'll we'll do his commandments and the commandment that he's giving us is nothing new. It's that we love the Lord, that we love his people, right? Isn't that the embodiment? Isn't that the fulfillment of the law? Didn't Jesus teach us that? The, the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that we love our neighbor as ourself. If we love, we will do the commandments. That's what the law is. Love is the fulfillment of the law, but that doesn't mean that all we have to do is love people and write off the commandments. The commandments are the way that we love God and his people. And so when God tells us that we shall not commit adultery, he means it. That's the way that we love the community. And that's why Paul had some harsh words earlier in the letter, in chapter 5, just as one example. He was, un, he was not okay with a man in the community of Corinth having a relationship with his father's wife. That's unacceptable. That is the little leaven that leavens the whole lump of the community. Paul knows that it is unloving to permit such action. And in fact, in brief here, that's why he writes what he does in verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. It's not to say that that man didn't love the Lord, but it is to say that if that man continued to claim to love the Lord and to live as he was living, that's evidence that he really doesn't love the Lord. And that man has to be done away with. We need to pronounce something about that man, that that he should be accursed if he thinks it's okay to claim to love the Lord and to live however he wants, unchecked and unapologetically. That's not love for the Lord. And Paul remembers and wants his believers to remember that true love for the Lord will involve following the Lord's commandments. He wants us to do the same. So as we engage with others around us, we ought to know that love doesn't mean just letting people do whatever they want. It doesn't mean expecting to be able to do whatever I want. It means, it means conforming our lives to what God has revealed in his word. We don't earn our place in God's body, in God's family, by whether or not we live according to the law perfectly. But because we're part of his family, because we believe the truths that he has come down to embody in Jesus, we want to follow the law. We want to follow the commandments that he's given to us. That is how we love him and love people. Let's pray that he would help us to do just that. Please join with me. Father, thank you for your son. He is the embodiment of not only the law, but of love. And he is the one who gives us the perfect model that Paul then follows after, that Timothy then follows after, that hopefully we will follow after. And through your power, through your, through your strength, through your spirit in us, convicting us of our sins and pointing us back to the word, we will, we will follow uh, your your model of love and your son and your servants, Lord. We will be servants in like kind through your power, through your grace. May it be so today and evermore into the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm so glad that you were able to take some time to join with me uh, this morning as we looked at 1 Corinthians 16. 
Pray you'd have a blessed day and that it would come to mind throughout the day for you and bless you in that way. In Jesus' name.